the, the problem with being asked to preach at a service like this, on the passage like this, is, is that you, even as I'm sitting there following it in my Bible and listening to what Natalie is saying, I'm thinking of new things that I want to say tonight, <laughs> which is not good when you're the preacher and you've got about 30 seconds to, to get it on board. But, um, so I'll stick to the script, if I may. Now, Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, once wrote in his diary as if he were recording an extraordinary phenomenon, I have been to church today and am not depressed. Thank you. Sometimes our experiences of church and church going are not good ones, but they leave a lasting impression on us. As a child, I was taken by my mother to church at the other end of Tunbridge Wells, near where we lived, and for some reason we went to the 6.30pm service that was always from the old-fashioned Book of Common Prayer. And to this day, I can remember the preacher ascending the steps of the pulpit, which was the signal for the vergers to turn out all the lights except the one above the pulpit. I never worked out whether this was a dramatic effect, or to save electricity, or to allow the congregation to quietly doze off unnoticed. (laughs) The services were not the best of experiences for a young lad, and would have been enough to put anyone off for life, had I not, a few years later, encountered a Christian youth group called Crusaders, and eventually things turned a full circle, and I find myself here today desperately hoping that you are not going to doze off quietly as I preach. Um, I hope you don't, for the reading that we just listened to just a couple of minutes ago from the Bible is, is perhaps one of the most important that you ever hear or read. And I would encourage you to go home and read the whole of chapter 6 of John's Gospel um, after this service when you get home. Have a look at it, read it. And uh, you'll find there's an awful lot in there, and, uh, which I can't possibly do justice to tonight. So I apologise now if there are bits that you thought were important that I'm not going to speak about tonight. Um, now, this is one of those things, and John in his Gospel records events and teachings that none of the other Gospel writers do, and this is one of them, including the I am sayings of Jesus. Do you remember those? Jesus said, I am this, that, and the other. Um, Can you remember them? I'm the light of the world. Yes, that's a good one, yeah. Good shepherd. Uh, Living water's not not actually one of the I am sayings, but he he did say that at some point. Well, we've got, um, I'm the good shepherd, I am the door of the sheep. Do you remember that one? Those two sort of come together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, I am the true vine. Okay, so I am the light of the world. So so there are, I think it's seven, maybe eight sayings of Jesus where he he begins them with, I am. And this is one of them. Now the incident that we're reading about tonight follows on some stuff that happens earlier in chapter 6 which I always think it's very important to get the context of what we're looking at into place. And if you look back, um, if you've got a Bible, um, if you haven't, don't worry. As I say, have a look at chapter 6 of John when you get home. And you'll see it begins, chapter 6 begins with the feeding of the 5,000, which you may have heard about, and follows up in verse 16 with Jesus walking on the water. 
those two uh, miraculous events happening just before we come to our passage that we read tonight. Um, And today, as we look and study the rest of this particular chapter that contains some of the most profound and important teaching about the person of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith that we'll ever read, and for much of what we read here is at the very heart of what we believe, and if we get this right, then it would be truly challenging and a life-changing experience and we'll begin to understand our faith and grow closer to God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is said that winning an Olympic medal is a life-changing experience. I've never done it, so I don't know, but that's what they tell me. For athletes to do so, it's the culmination of years of hard work, self-discipline, constant training, inconvenience and hardship, a struggle to stay fit, to find finance, And even those who don't win will have done their best, perhaps turning in a personal best. And I hope they don't get too disappointed at not being a medal winner. But the Christian faith too is about hard work and self-discipline. And we, if we call ourselves Christians, need to be on our toes, always seeking to grow in our faith, constantly sharing with and encouraging one another. And that's something you can't do alone. You need the strength and support of other Christians. I want to emphasize over and over again the need and importance of coming to church and meeting with other Christians. That's why it's so good to have a service like this on a Sunday evening that we can come to and uh, in a relaxed way and just be in God's presence and learn and grow from him. And Rosie, perhaps when you get to university, you'll be able to find something that you can attend as well that might, might be not quite like this. Not all services are like this one. (laughs) One thing you can be sure of is that the Christian faith is not a prop for the elderly and weak, as many people think, but a vital living faith that will give us courage and strength as we go out into the world to face tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so on. God's word, the Bible, is never dull, never boring. And I find that every time I read it, there's something new to discover a new challenge, a new understanding, a fresh hope. And today, all of us here are in different stages of our understanding in the Christian faith. But my hope and prayer is that all of us will go away having encountered the living God and with our lives changed in some way. And some of us may find that a bit uncomfortable. For even in Jesus' day, as his words hit home, those listening to him found what he was saying difficult to swallow. And if you read on in chapter 6 to verse 60, you'll see the reaction of the people. Uh, Because John says about this incident, on hearing it, John says, on hearing it, many of, of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? That's what they said, verse 60. And then in verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. By disciples here, we means the wider, larger group that followed Jesus around, that included women and children, and uh, rather than just the 12 um, disciples that we think about, the, the close followers of Jesus. This was hard stuff. It hit home. It challenged them. We always assume that Jesus must have met with great success wherever he went. We don't think in terms of him putting people off. But that's exactly what happens in this chapter. 
following Jesus suddenly took on a new dimension as the reality hit home that there is a cost of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And for some of them, it was too much to swallow. But perhaps we're jumping a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's just catch up to where we've got to. The story so far, Jesus and his disciples found themselves surrounded by a huge crowd of people. This is the beginning of chapter 6. Desperate to hear what Jesus might say and to see what he might do. And they were hungry. And John tells us that there were 5,000 men, which probably means there are many again women and children. So 10,000 people, a huge number. Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, could only see a huge problem here. All these people, all very hungry, no food to give them. He did the mass and realized that it would take a huge amount of money to buy enough food for them all, even if they could find a supermarket that was open with enough supplies. Huge problem. No answer. Insurmountable. And so he grumbled. The New Testament is full of people grumbling. I love the way people grumble. Well, they must come from England, all these people. No answer, insurmountable. So he grumbled. Andrew, another disciple, um, I think was Philip's brother, saw a possibility and he brought to Jesus a small boy. Now, Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus, and we hear about him again and again, bringing people to Jesus. And that's something we can learn from, bringing people to Jesus, to hear about Jesus. But this small boy had been sent out by his mother with a packed lunch, not much, admittedly, but perhaps Jesus could do something with it. And how often we struggle with problems and difficulties in our own lives, Sometimes they're seemingly insurmountable problems, not knowing who to turn to, not occurring to us to bring it to Jesus and allow him to take control. But Andrew did, and the rest, as they say, is history. Jesus blessed and broke the bread and the fish. It was given out, and there was so much that 12 baskets of leftovers were gathered up afterwards. And John and the other gospel writers, for this incident is so important that it's recorded by all four gospel writers, um, are very particular about this, about these baskets of leftovers that were gathered up afterwards. It's quite specific on this because I think John and the others want us to be 100% convinced that a miracle has taken place. Lots of people try to argue that, well, the, they only got a sort of little crumb and they were satisfied well, by just getting a little crumb. But that's not what it says. It says... These five loaves and two small fish became enough food to satisfy 10,000 people. It would be a very, very small crumb if it was just divided amongst them. And so he emphasizes the huge amount of food that was left over after the meal was finished. Okay, well now when I'm hungry, I tend to make a beeline for the fridge. And it would not occur to me to pray to Jesus to ask him to give me food. But that is because I have a fridge full of food and can have what I want when I want it. But for many people, that is not the case. When I was at school, and I went to Skinner's down the road here, Oxfam put out a series of posters depicting hungry children with the caption, Half the world is still hungry. To which some wag at the school had added, Arding hasn't had his dinner yet. <laughs> That's me, I'm, I'm Richard. 
Fortunately, I saw the funny side of it. But in 2000, the year 2000, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Holy Land, and we visited a lot of sites and places. Uh, And one of the places we went to, which had a huge impact on me, um, not the site of some great biblical event, but an orphanage in Bethany near Jerusalem, run by Palestinian Christians. I'm not going to go on tonight about the tensions between the Palestinians and the Israelites. Israelites? Jews. Uh, Israelis. That's Israelis, that's the word. And uh, there is a huge tension, and uh, the Palestinians are, are very badly treated indeed, but that's another issue. But because they were Palestinians, they, they, uh, and they were working in Israel, they had, at this orphanage, about 50, 50 kids, I think it was, at this orphanage. Um, they received no government support or funding whatsoever. It was a hum- humbling experience because these amazing people who ran the orphanage were just penniless people, Christians, who felt a real desire and calling to help young children actually worse off than themselves. And they relied on God to provide for them, and still do, I'm sure. Often they would have nothing in the fridge for the next meal, nothing in the larder. And so they would gather, children included, and they would pray for food. And what happened next was nothing short of a miracle. Because over and over again, when they prayed, an envelope with money in would come through the door, through the letterbox. A bo- or a box of leftover meat from the market would be left on the doorstep. Or a box of tin food would arrive from somewhere else. And this used to happen and probably still does time and time again. Something would always come along at just the right moment. God heard their prayers and answered them, not necessarily in a spectacular, miraculous way, but through prompting others to share what they had. That's how God works, so often in my experience. You or I have a need, we take it to God in prayer, and he will honour and answer our prayers, not necessarily in a big, spectacular way, but often in the least expected, so unexpected that sometimes we miss it or think he hasn't answered our prayer. That happens to me over and over again. And, um, but I was thinking, uh, as I preached earlier on at the five o'clock service, it occurred to me that this can also be seen the other way around. Um, because there, as Christians, we have, in this country, we have so much. We are one of the wealthiest nations in the world. It's said that if you have, if your family owns a car, you are in the top 10% in terms of wealth of people in the world. If, you have, if your family has two cars, my family has several cars, but it has two cars at, at our house, um, then you are in the top 2% of people in the world in terms of wealth. So don't think you're hard up. We in this country have it real good. And God calls us and challenges us to, to share what we have, what he gives to us. Anyway, let's move on, and uh, if that's about the way Jesus met and still meets our practical needs, today's reading is about how Jesus meets our spiritual needs. It's the next day. Things have moved on. The action has moved to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Some of the crowd who have been around on the previous day, when the 5,000 or 10,000 were fed, have crossed by boat to find Jesus. They're desperate to, to get anything they can from him. 
And um, no doubt they've been talking about nothing other than the miracle performed yesterday and they're astounded by this man and desperate to see him do more miraculous stuff. But here's the problem. Jesus did not perform miracles to order. He only did them when he saw a great need and out of compassion was moved to help that person or persons. But this crowd want more of what happened yesterday. It could have been just about anything as long as it was a clearly visible miracle. Jesus might just as well have been Harry Potter waving his magic wand. They only wanted to see his supernatural powers and didn't want a thing about their own faith or belief or anything like that. It hadn't occurred to them that that might even enter into it and might be an issue. And so the exchange that goes on between the people and Jesus and he's speaking to the crowd is, I think, actually quite amusing. Do not work for food, that's, for food that spoils, says Jesus, but for food that endures to eternal life. And the crowd replies, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? And they've honed on Jesus' use of the word work and think that he means that they've got to do something physical to earn eternal life, a mistake that many people make even today. They see someone who's devoted their lives to philanthropic works and helped hundreds of people. Philanthropic, that's a good word, I like that word. Yeah, a long word, yeah. several syllables. Um, and perhaps given uh, the people who have given a fortune to good causes and they say that was a truly Christian person, and perhaps that person was acting in a way that Christians should act. But doing good things will not and never has won anyone a place in heaven. Then Jesus goes on to make the puzzle even harder for them. And he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe. So in this case, to do does not mean rushing around trying to do our bit to help humanity. And too often Christians spend too much time being busy rather than spending time on what God would really prefer, which is spiritual things. Even a worship service like this can be full of doing things, standing up, sitting down, readings, prayers, hymns, listening to some bloke waffling on. But if we go away not having engaged in a way, in it, in a way that affects our relationship with God, then to a certain extent we've wasted our time. And I don't mean I think services are rubbish and pointless, not a bit of it. But are we so busy being busy that we missed the whole point? Maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves tonight. Well then now, here comes the climax of the reading and the focus of this sermon. For the people make one last effort to get Jesus to do a show of magic. For them, and they mention how manna was provided for the Israelites as they wandered through the desert in search of the promised land. And Jesus replies, forget the physical food provided by God from heaven a long time ago to meet the needs of the people at a particular time in history, and open your eyes and see the spiritual food from heaven that God is providing for you right here and now. Bread that is in the form of a person who will give you life, spiritual life, and give it to the world. Sir, the crowd say, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus replies with the words that form one of the great I am sayings of Jesus recorded by John, I am the bread of life, he says. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
And today, more than ever, people are hungry for truth, thirsty for meaning and purpose in a world that all too often does nothing but let you down and disappoint. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, died at the end of 1991 and wrote in one of his last songs on the Miracle album, Does anybody know what we're living for? And in spite of his huge fortune and fame that attracted thousands of fans, he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said, You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success brought me world idolisation and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. And in a chillingly similar scenario, I read recently that late Michael Jackson admitted that he was desperately lonely and craved love and attention. Cheryl Cole, or or, um, Tweedy, or whatever she calls herself now, has spoken in a similar way. But Mercury was right. No human relationship, however wonderful and loving, will fully satisfy our deepest needs. There will always be something missing. That is because we are created to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And without that relationship, we will go spiritually hungry. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. I can supply and fill your deepest needs. Now bread is perhaps a staple food here in the UK. Something that most of us have at home as part of our daily diet in one form or another. If we didn't have it, we might miss it. Some of us, I know, have diets that don't include bread. We specifically have to avoid it. But for most of us, bread is quite a staple part of our diet. If we didn't have it, we'd miss it. Well, we would in our house. We seem to get through an awful lot of it. In another part of the world, Jesus might have said something different. In China, they might say that Jesus is the rice of life. And a Chinese girl once explained that whatever other food the Chinese eat, they never feel fully satisfied unless they've had rice. It's as if they have two stomachs, one for other food and one for rice. And if that one isn't filled, then they haven't eaten properly. Hence for her, Jesus is the rice of life. In Ireland, Jesus might have said, I am the potato of life. In, uh, in African countries, he might have said, I am the maze of life. In Kensington and Chelsea, he might have said, I am the quinoa of life. <laughs> but you see the picture. As Christians, we need to focus on the one who gives us eternal life, who supplies our spiritual food, and not allow him to live on the outskirts of our lives. And when we are centred on him, then we will hear what he wants to say to us and the direction he wants us to go. Maybe your diet does not allow you to have bread, but spiritually speaking, do not live life without the bread of life. He wants us to be focused on him and to live lives that are sustained and nourished by him. Amen.